Chai, and welcome to the Kelowna Girl Chai's podcast. I'm Barb, and this is episode 83, Sunday, December 12th, 2010. Hope you enjoy it. Hey everybody, welcome back and thanks for downloading another episode. Snow, ah yes, we've had a lot of snow this winter so far. In fact, we had just started to starting to have a little bit of grass showing up uh, here and there and we got another dump of it last night. About, I woke up to about eight inches of snow. Difference was this time it was a little wet, so it's quite heavy and uh, a lot of work to shovel. But uh, yeah, my show is a little snow-related this week because my training update involves skiing. And uh, I've got a voicemail to share from you, share with you from Sarah and a couple of messages from Heather and Tim and Jason. And uh, I'm going to talk about doing your own lactate threshold heart rate test um, for the bike trainer. So, let me get on with the show. Oh, the weather outside is frightful, but the fire is so delightful. Since we've no place to go, let it snow, let it snow, let it snow. Ah yes, the snow. It's a perfect time to get out there and do some cross-country skiing. So finally, Eric and I managed to get up to uh, Telemark, which is one of the local cross-country ski areas, and it's about a half-hour drive from my house. And we went up on Saturday, yesterday, and tried skate skiing for the first time. We are kind of anxious to get out there, so we didn't set ourselves up with lessons or anything. Have watched quite a few videos on how to when uh, on YouTube and that wasn't too bad. If you want to check out the videos, I put a few on my blog post that was dated on the 11th of December. So if you go to colonagirl.com, you can see a couple that I looked at. So if you've never see- heard of or seen skate skiing, um check it out. It's quite different from regular cross country. In regular cross country, the skis are a little longer, they're a little wider. So uh skate skis are slightly shorter and narrower. And you wax them differently so that there's no um, traction on them at all. And they're meant to glide really quickly. And instead of putting your skates into a track and pushing yourself along back and forth, you push your feet um, off sideways and propel yourself forward that way. So it's the same motion as you would if you were ice skating. Now, because I've been ice skating in the past, I kind of thought that might help me out. However, my ice skating skills didn't seem to be much of an advantage at all. We went up to Telemark where there's a trail. It's not even a trail. It's called Stadium, which is a big, flat, open area. And uh, when we got up there, there was a lot of kids taking lessons. And it was groomed uh, with some bumps and stuff on there. And it was groomed for cross-country and uh, regular, what's called classic, and for skate skiing. So most trails around here will have a classic uh, track on one side, and then the rest of it will be gl- groomed more or less flat. And that's where people skate ski. Uh, so we just got up there and started t- just t- t- attempting to propel ourselves forward. And we found it was really difficult. Eric caught on uh, a lot more quickly than I did. 
And, uh, you know, I'm just really not all that coordinated sometimes. But uh, it was, took, I'm going to say maybe 45 minutes to an hour where we were just sort of playing around. And Eric was eventually ready to go and try one of the simple trails. Uh, one was called Forest Lane, and it only had a few uh, gentle um, inclines and, and hills to go up and down. But uh, I thought, no, you know, I am totally not ready to even attempt a trail yet. I've got to just keep practicing till I get the feeling of what I'm doing. So he went off onto this trail, and I decided to try something called free skating, which was one of the things that was recommended in one of the videos. And you basically put your poles down, and you attempt to skate without the poles. I was a little afraid to do it because when you're skating, uh, when I was skiing, I was really relying the p on the poles to k help me keep my balance and stop me from falling. So I would, you know, lean on them both ways. And I think I was over-relying on them, so I was never really getting a feel for it. And uh, Once I put the poles down, I actually found it, I was able to get the feel of how to propel myself. And uh, it did get a little bit easier. I did a couple of back-and-forth sections. I'm, I'm guessing it's a couple hundred meters across, a couple hundred yards across this field and uh, then I picked up my poles again and tried with the poles again and it was I found it was a much easier the second time however you know did that a couple times and sort of lost the the feeling again and so I, I went back and forth between poles no poles for quite a while after a while I eventually Eric was going to go do this little forest lane trail again and I decided to go along with him I was only barely getting the hang of it at this point and uh, although I was fine on the flats, uh, I was terrible on the uphills. And it, even the gentlest incline, it's really hard to skate uphill with s skis that have no traction. And I found I was basically just doing it all with my arms and my poles and just keeping my skis straight and pushing myself up, which was, you know, stupid and unproductive. Uh, and then the downhills, even however gentle, um, was freaking me out because... I was going, f you know, faster, and then I was afraid about how I was going to stop, and I was afraid I was going to fall. Uh, one of the things I had been really concerned about is how to how to stop when you get you get up there, and I was, I did try snow plowing, and that sort of seemed to work, but it turned out really the bigger issue for me was being able to get up after I've fallen. It, falling wasn't so bad, but being able to get up again was really hard. And I, I have to talk to the gal who lent me the skis because well, I found when I when I was down on the ground, my shoes did not unclip automatically. Now I think with downhills, regular downhill skiing, these they sort of tend to unclip when you fall, right? Well, these didn't. So I'm here I am laying on the ground in some strange array and uh, I'm clipped into these things and I couldn't unclip them f while I'm laying down and you know even pressing even if I could reach my foot I couldn't press hard enough to unclip my foot and I don't know if that was me not being able to do it properly or if if they're just not made to do that you have to be able to stand up and push your pole into this clip so that was kind of interesting Eric says he thinks he can unclip his right from any position so uh, that meant I was forced to have to be able to push myself up into position while I was spread-eagled on the ground, or even if I got my feet in side-by-side, side, it was still really hard to do. And I think ultimately I I fell about five 
times, four times or so. First time Eric helped me up and then the other times I insisted on, well, once I was alone and I had to do it myself. It must have taken me five minutes um, and I finally got myself into position. And that was that was the place where I think I came closest to injuring myself, was trying to push myself up. Uh, I could really feel muscles straining in ways they shouldn't. And this very, very stupid muscle that uh, I've had that's been bothering me for years and it doesn't affect my run. Um, and it's, I've, I've kind of thought it was a sartorius, but now I'm thinking it's something different. I'm trying to figure out where it attaches and uh, what is actually injured. But anyways, something happened in there uh, while I was pushing myself up and I didn't really feel it. I felt a little bit of it, but no pain. And uh, it wasn't until today, even though today I'm, I'm just slightly stiff, not really sore, but a couple of times I have just lifted my leg up and, it, and when it hurts as if I rotate my knee outwards. Um, so I was sitting on a chair and I always sit cross-legged on chairs. So I'd lift up my leg just like I always do to, to sit cross-legged and I'd something just snapped in there, pinched, and just sent me to the floor. Uh, I was just in agony, and it lasted maybe, I don't know, 30, 40 seconds, and then it sort of eased up, and then it was fine. And then a little later, I was vacuuming. I just bent down to pick something up, and again, something tweaked, and oh my God, I was just in agony. I, I just threw everything on the floor, and I was just rolling. I had tears in my eyes. It um, took about a minute or so before it kind of stopped throbbing and uh, then it was fine so I don't know what the hell is wrong with that thing I guess I've just really irritated it so I'm sitting here with an ice pack on my um, the front of my leg and uh, I don't really know what it is it could be I was looking at some web the website which has some great muscle pictures it could be the psoas attachment it could be the iliacus muscle where it attaches maybe the rectus femoris if I said those right and I've looked at all these, and they all look like they attach in that particular spot. Um, but it does, when the pain happens, that's where it happens, but it, then it runs down the front of my leg, really, you know, the quad or the or the sartorius. So it could be more than one muscle that's involved here. So I'm, <sighs> I, was, I would really want to go out for a run today, and it's quite snowy and icy out, and I was pretty worried about it. I'm, I'm thinking I'm, I would be really stupid to go out there, because if I just slip the wrong way and turn my knee the wrong way not only will I be in pain but I could end up I don't know maybe tearing something um, my physiotherapist thinks I tore it at some point a few years ago and uh, it's just never really healed properly and there's scar tissue and tissue in there that's really irritated anyway that, apart from that minor little detail my skiing um, activity was really fun um, I didn't really feel like I was very effective and Eric really did way better than I did not surprisingly, uh, he was he could ski three times as fast as I could. But I would say by the last half hour, I was finally getting the hang of it. And uh, other than trying to find a way to unclip my skis when I'm on the ground so I don't have to hurt myself getting up, um, that would be my other concern. Now, they have uh, lessons there, and uh, they're on Thursday nights. We're just contemplating setting up ourselves to go for three weeks of lessons um, that start this Thursday, so we may do that. And, uh, yeah, so it's quite interesting, quite fun. I think it would be great cross-training, and if I enjoy it enough, I might buy my own skis. The skis I was using was I borrowed from my friend Carmel, and she just got new skis. So she had these ones, and she's a bit taller than me, so these skis were a little too long for me. The boots fit me perfectly, and the 
um, I, she didn't give me poles, so I used my old cross-country ski poles, and they were probably 10 centimeters, 4 inches too short. So I'm thinking if I had all of those things that really fit me well, I might have had a little bit easier time, but I don't think I can blame too much on that. So uh, check out my blog if you want to see a couple of pictures. Uh, there's only a picture of me standing still. Uh, looks better me standing still <laughs> than moving. Anyways, there's a little bit more information about my uh, skating ventures on the blog. Okay, I think it's time for uh, some email and voicemails and stuff. So let me go find my mailbox. Hang on. I'm of a white Christmas Just like the ones I used to know Okay, what can I say? I love Christmas music, and I'm a sucker for Bing Crosby, and I love the snow, so it just gets me so much in the mood. All right, I've got uh, a voicemail to play, and I've got um, an email to share with you from, the first one is from Heather, who sent me a message on Facebook. Heather is Alaska Turtle, or AK Run Turtle, and uh, I didn't realize that uh, I know her on Facebook. I get really confused with people's uh, Facebook names and their Twitter names and their real names. It just gets me confused. Anyways, she said, I just listened to podcast number 80. Not sure if you already got your questions answered, but I thought I'd throw in my two cents. I train all winter long here in Alaska. I've learned through trial and error what works for me. I've run in yak tracks for the last couple of years, and I tend to break a couple of them every season. This year, I decided to try the quarter-inch hex screws drew, drilled into the bottom of a pair of trail shoes, and so far, so good. So that's great. Thanks, Heather. Um, you know, I've had a few people suggest the hex screws as being a, a big, much improve, improvement over the yak tracks. I think yak tracks are really better for walkers and not for runners. Anyways, Heather goes on to say, the other thing we were talking about is water intake while running in the cold. For a few years, I ran with the running camelback, and I just used an insulated tube cover for the hose. I purchased it through REI. I run up to 5 degrees Fahrenheit before I wimp out and have never had my hose freeze on me at those temperatures. And that would be about, I don't know, minus 16 Celsius. Anyways, hope that helps. Uh, and uh, Heather's, I really appreciate it. Um, it's good to hear that feedback, you know, because a lot of people have been wondering and a lot of people talk about maybe getting the act tracks, but it sounds like it's just not the thing for us. All right. I also got a voicemail from Cabacona Tri Girl, which is kind of fun. And Sarah said she finally realized that all she has to do is call her voicemail and uh, it would and forward it to me. It was just easy peasy, as her daughter says. And uh, she's also mentioned that she's um, trying to plan her races for next year, and a couple of people have suggested she do the Fargo Marathon, but she says she's really not ready or interested in a marathon yet, but maybe a 10K would be a good longer distance for her. And you know what? I, I kind of agree. I think sometimes you just have to build yourself up. Marathons are a huge deal. It just takes a lot out of your body, and I think it's something that we have to build ourselves up to. Uh, there's not very many people that can get out there and do a a really tough marathon um, with only if you know right on the first year of training that being said I know some of you have done it so sounds like she's dealing with quite a bit of snow as well anyways I'm going to play her voicemail um, where she gives us her race report for a triathlon she did recently as well as her 5k and congratulations on your making your goal so uh, I'll play that without any further ado here you go 
Barb. It's Sarah Cavacona Tri Girl. Haven't talked to you in a while. Thought I'd give you an update. Uh, calling from St. Paul, Minnesota. I did a, uh, I think I sent you my race report from the one last try in September where the water was about 59 degrees. I did an indoor try middle of November. I did the same one last year and I was going to do it as a, as a relay. My girlfriend Amy was going to do the swim. We were all set and about 9 p.m. the night before she says, hey, I don't think I'm up to it health-wise. And then she just never showed up. So I hadn't been in the pool since, well, the previous try in September. But did the race, no big deal. Um, took a couple of minutes off my time. The swim, the guy actually miscounted my lap, so I was really kind of ticked off about that. Uh, I was a high school and college swimmer, so I know how far I've gone. I know how to count, and I can look at my watch and, you know, see roughly where I'm at. So aside from that, yeah, whatever. Uh, transition times were faster, bike was faster, run was faster, all was good. And then I decided, you know, I really want to try and get my 5K time down. I'm not a runner. I'm not a fast runner. I was hoping for 33 or 34 minutes, was working with Gordon. And, uh, you know, he had me doing speed work and stuff. I thought, great, I'm all set. And then race day comes, and it's 4 degrees. Well, I hadn't been running in 4-degree temperatures, so that was a shock. Anyway, I went out and did it, and uh, my goal was, I think I said 33, 34 minutes. I did it in uh, 33.59. So, you know, it wasn't my 10.40 pace time that I was hoping, but I still met my goal. And then I've just been doing some out, some uh, running in the cold here. Had my coldest run this morning at 3 degrees. But since I don't live in a great neighborhood, I decided I better start taking the dog with me. And, you know, he can't go as fast as I can on my own. But at least I'm getting out there and I'm doing it. That's about it. <laughs> uh, just listened to your last podcast, and I absolutely love your ice bath. I was... I stopped it right, stopped listening, headed into work right before you were going to go out there. And so then I turned it back on. I'm like, what is she doing? Took me a moment, but put a smile on my face. Anyway, thanks. Keep up the good work. Keep blogging. And uh, keep running. Hope your shins feel better. Thanks. Bye. All right. And thanks again for that, Sarah. If you want to send me a voicemail of some sort, um, you know, just uh, shoot off a, an MP3 or a WAV file or whatever works for you, and I can convert it and play it on the show. I kind of contemplated getting uh, Skype voicemail. It's only It cost me about $20 for the year, and uh, I try really hard not to spend money on my podcast because um, I'm not, you know... When it's when you don't make any money from it, I try hard not to spend too much money on it. So, but if you think it would be worthwhile to have a Skype voicemail, if you have Skype and you would actually consider sending me a voicemail if you had that opportunity, let me know and maybe I will uh, just uh, throw the twenty bucks in and do it. What the heck, hey? So, anyways, I've got um, another email, and I'm just going to pop into my mail here. I've been trading stories with another listener named Tim from Eldersburg, Maryland. And uh, he says he was listening to the December 5th podcast about bike trainer workouts. And he had a few questions. I'm not going to do them in order because I want to leave the first one for last because that's my main topic for the day. 
He said that, first of all, he's wondering about the fluid trainer versus the magnetic cyclops trainer. And I've had quite a few people ask me about the, the differences and which one they w- I would recommend. Uh, I can tell you I did not, I've not tried a magnetic trainer. I ended up doing the research and choosing a fluid. Um, but I can tell you the ups and downs of both of them. Um, from what I have read online, and these are the reasons I bought them, not from first-hand knowledge. The magnetic trainer is a little less expensive, so if money is an issue, um, I think that would be definitely the way to go. There's nothing wrong with it. It's um, The fluid trainer is a little quieter and uh, a l- got a little bit more realistic road feel. So if you are living someplace and you can afford to buy the little bit more expensive one and you live maybe in a place where you need to be quiet or you got little kids sleeping, uh, that might be something to consider. I find mine is still noisy enough that even in downstairs in the basement, I can still hear it upstairs, but I don't have a very big house, so that could be part of it. Uh, and compu trainers are even more expensive, and that was one of the things that Tim had uh, mentioned. He said he's not a, an, um, a serious cyclist and not ready for the financial commitment of the compu trainer, which are really expensive. He is an ex-collegiate lacrosse player who is turned runner and has de- developed a recent passion for cross-training such as triathlons. I should probably give you a little bit of um, background on Tim. He uh, did his first triathlon in September. It was an Olympic distance, and then he ran a half marathon in October. And he says... Through the summer and early fall, I trained with a heart rate monitor. However, I came to the conclusion that numbers were meaningless for me because I don't know what my zone 1, zone 2, and zone 3 are at this time. And that's uh, that's uh, right. That's a big problem. If you don't know what your what rates you're supposed to be in, it's really not very useful, is it? He said, the data is nothing more than a watt number on my watch. So now I'm thinking, okay, now what? And he also commented that it was funny listening to my 2011 race schedule because it mirrors his. He's doing a half marathon at the end of March. He's going to do an Olympic try in April, a 70.3 in June, and a marathon next October to close the year out. He's recently bought a Garmin 310XT, and he really enjoys it, but he wants to learn how to use it a little bit more effectively. Um, his other question, second question that he had was about treadmill running and wondered my in my thoughts about using a treadmill versus running outdoors. And because he says he tends to mostly run a uh, treadmill in the wintertime. So I wanted to mention, uh, I gave him a, a link to a website and uh, it's called Running, oh I've lost it, hang on. Yeah, the runningplanet.com. And the section that I have here is slash training slash treadmill dash running dot dash pros dash cons dot HTML. Big long uh, URL, but I'll put the link in the show notes. Um, Rick Morris wrote this article, The Pros and Cons of Treadmill Training. And I thought it really gave a lot of thinking into um, the pros and cons and a lot better than I would be able to. And he talked about the advantages um, of the treadmill is the fact that, you know, you don't have to deal with weather right off the bat. He said the main thing was that it was there's more consistency when you're running um, with your pacing, whether you're doing interval work, whether you are doing an easy run that you may tend to not, um, you know, ease off as much as you can. Or if you want to do a speed work or a tempo run, you just set the treadmill at a certain pace and it's going to keep you on going without having to, you know, speed up or slow down. Now, if you have a GPS watch, um, like a Garmin of some sort where you can set warnings 
uh, about your speed if you're going too fast or too slow that kind of compensates for that so um, you know if you have that you may not have to worry about that issue as much he also mentions if you happen to live in a place where it's really flat uh, and you don't have any opportunity to run hills you can certainly set up um, simulated hills on a treadmill and that's sometimes an advantage for people uh, you might um, enjoy being on it for a long run if you are watching TV or whatever as well too. But personally, I'd way rather be outside for a long run. And uh, he mentioned about the advantages of injury prevention and rehab um, because the treadmill is a little bit of a softer surface and a little more forgiving when you're running, a little more stable and consistent in that as well. Now, that kind of runs right into the cons, though, of a treadmill, and that is the fact that you're you're not running on, on the kind of surface that you will be racing on. And so he talks about this lack of specif- specificity. Specificity, that's hard to say when you have braces. And that just means that uh, your training should be as specific as possible to your training goal or your race. So if your race is going to be a trail race, you want to be running on trails, and if you're road is race as a road race you want to run on roads or same thing with hills or whatever it is and uh, you want to be able to have that realistic um, feel and your body can get adapt to the conditions that you'll be racing in so if it's early in the season and you're sort of in your base training it's probably okay but the closer to your race you get the more likely you're going to want to get into an actual uh, race situation you're also dealing with uh, no weather and you you could very well have some sort of weather on your race so there's no wind resistance indoors and there's no um you know learning to run in adverse conditions is um, not only good for mental toughness but it's also good for your body to adjust to that and uh, you don't want to arrive in a race and have never run in those types of outdoor conditions and the other thing he mentions is about your running biomechanics. Um, there's some thought that running on a treadmill can perhaps be different from running outside. It might affect your straight stride length. It might affect um, the, your lean. It could su- affect the amount of time your land foot lands and stays on the ground. Uh, nevertheless, in some ways, your stride is going to be affected uh, and differently than the way it is when you're running outside. So. And then the last thing he mentioned was about the running surface, the fact that, you know, the surface is very um, consistent and so you don't learn to run on an uneven surface or what to do when you hit in a rock or dry or wet or all of that kind of thing. So a good article that I hope really helped him, uh, helped answer Tim's questions. And I think eventually what he did decide to do was to get a lactate threshold test himself, which I haven't discussed yet. And I think he did go and buy the Cyclops Fluid 2 trainer. So uh, good luck, Tim, and keep us posted on everything that you're doing. It's uh, really cool. And uh, I don't know, Tim, do do, we f- do I follow you on Twitter or are you on Twitter? Um, if you do, let me know what your Twitter name is. And, uh, okay, now his... First question, which is the one I'm going to focus on today, he was wondering about whether or not it was worthwhile getting a lactate threshold test at a lab or through a coach, or whether there's a cheaper way to figure it out. Now, my opinion is, first of all, the best thing to do is have a power meter, none of which I have, and I'm not going to buy because it's too expensive. But uh, the secondary to that is running with heart rate trading. Now, the method that I gave you guys the last couple of 
times when I've been talking about heart rate. It's kind of the simplistic way of basing it on your max heart rate. And I got a, a message on Facebook from Jason Gallant from Mainly Triathlon the other day. Uh, after he heard my last show and where I was talking about uh, heart rate training based on your max heart rate and percentages of, of that. And it's and he was pointing out uh, something that he'd read in Total Heart Rate Training from Joe Friel. And, uh, and it's about the... Joe says, and I agree with this, and this is one of the things that I was going to talk about today, so it was very timely, and I appreciated him pointing me to the heart rate training book because it had a, a little bit of an article in here that I had forgotten about, and it'll be great for my topic today. And he talks about the fact that, uh, you know, your heart, your max heart rate is really, you really don't know what your max heart rate is. For some people, it could be even dangerous um, trying to figure out what your max heart rate is. It's certainly painful and, and, um, and not a fun um, activity to try and figure out what your max heart rate is. I tend to not do it on purpose. Um, I tend to do it when I'm doing a really, really hard effort, riding a bike up a hill as hard as I can, or checking out what my max heart rate is on various races that I've been in, because I figured that's as close to coming to max as I've ever come. So if you don't really know what your max heart rate is exactly, then get basing your zones on, on that max heart rate is really just a bit of a guessing game and isn't really ap- accurate. You're a lot better off trying to find your lactic, a lactate threshold uh, heart rate and base your zones on that. Um, be, and one of the reasons is because like, two people could have the exact same max heart rate but they could have totally different lactate threshold heart rates based on their fitness because one may be more fit than the other. And I should probably mention too that uh, um, your maximum heart rate doesn't really change other than it it decreases a little bit uh, with age, but your lactate threshold will change depending on your fitness. So if you test um, at the beginning of the season and then do a bunch of training for a month or two and then test yourself again, you should see some improvement. And it is important to test yourself regularly and look for the improvement and then adjust your zones as you go. So how do you do that at home? Well, if you're in a lab, they would basically put you through a test and that would and they would be taking blood every few minutes um, to measure the amount of lactic acid in their blood. And it's sort of a gradually increasing effort that you'd go do on the trainer. And they would start by getting your base, and then they would be watching for a sudden increase in lactic acid. Um, Lactate threshold is also called anaerobic threshold. And it's the point, how do I word this? It's like, it's at the point that your muscles, um, that the lactic acid begins to accumulate in your muscles and causes you to get tired, gets painful, and your muscles, you know, fatigue. And uh, I think maybe in marathons they might call that hitting the wall. I'm not sure if it's the same thing. Generally, when you're doing a sprint or Olympic distance triathlon, or if you're doing a 5 or 10K race, you would be racing at your lactate threshold. And you can probably maintain that for up to an hour. Uh, but any longer, you, you can't do it. So that's why we tend to run in a lower zone, heart rate zone, for longer races. And you probably know that if you're a marathoner. Okay, so um, to do a lactic a- lactate threshold test at a lab probably cost you somewhere between 50 and 200 bucks. And, uh, and it's pretty accurate, and it's probably a good way to go if you can afford to do it. 
However, there are some ways that you can get a pretty accurate um, idea of what your lactate threshold is at home using a bike trainer and uh, a couple of books. Now, to do that, um, there's been a couple of different ways that I have done it um, with the various coaches I've done, and they're all kind of similar, um, just a, mostly a difference in, in the length of the test. My first coach, uh, Brian, had me do a three-mile test on a trainer. It's best to do this kind of test on a trainer because you don't want to have any um, other variables in there with weather, terrain, traffic, uh, and you also want to make sure you're well rested, you um, are, have not had any hard training in the couple of days before, and you have not, uh, you've, you know, you've had enough to eat and that sort of thing. You get on the trainer and you have the resistance set the same that you would have on, on any other uh, test that you would do. And so usually you warm up for 10, 15, 20 minutes, whatever it takes for you to feel that you're warmed up. There's no real number. And... Then once you've warmed up, you start the test. And and uh, for Brian's test, it was a three-mile test. It was based on distance. And he had me ride for three miles with my Garmin turned on. And after the first mile, he had me hit the lap button. And then at the end, of course, I stopped it. So I had three numbers. I had my my max, my heart rate overall for the whole test and then my average heart rate, and then I had my average heart rate for the first mile and my average heart rate for the last two miles. And it was the data in the last two miles that he was most interested in looking at. And that first mile was just kind of a continuation of the warm-up, so where I was really just getting up to that steady pace. It's the hardest thing about a lactate threshold test, especially if you're not a really experienced cyclist and you don't really know your... Um, you don't really know yourself very well yet. It's really hard to get that pace and to figure out how long, uh, what pace can you ride for how long and maintain that pace so you don't start to fade off at the end. And so sometimes if, you, if you're just learning how to do it, you might have to do it a couple of times and you would definitely have uh, two or three days rest in between doing them. Um, so once you've got that average heart rate for that last two miles, then that would be fairly close to what you could consider to be your lactate threshold heart rate or your LT. Um, the way that I did it with coach Jeff, uh, same kind of thing only in this time he just had me do, I th I'm thinking it was 40 minutes. I, I can't remember. I did a warm up and then I think I did a 40 minute time trial and uh, he didn't have me hit the lap button in part way through so he just took my uh, my average heart rate over that 40 minute time trial and there wasn't a distance attached to it this time the one that joe friel has in his total heart rate training book um also i think his triathletes training bible is pretty simple and i i like it because it's it's a little longer than the three mile one for me because i think it took me nine minutes or something to ride the three miles um, and not as long as doing the 40 minute one which I found was a little hard for me to maintain and just not really motivated to do a long hard ride like that although it's more simulating um, a real race situation that's for sure but the one that he's got in his book is a it's basically a 30 minute test and he has you do a good warm-up and then you do uh, again you do exactly the same with the three mile test only you Start your Garmin or your heart rate monitor and you ride for about 10 minutes, 
just holding back a little bit so that you don't go out too hard. And you're at the 10 minute mark, you hit the lap button and then you continue riding uh, as steady as you can for another 20 minutes and then you stop. And your heart rate over that last 20 minutes is your lactic threshold. Now, the the tricky part of this is is that once you've got that number, that heart rate, and let's say for for example in this particular one, I I used to have a heart rate of my mine was I think 170. Okay, at one point I have no idea what it is right now, and I need to do it again. Um, I just had to open up to his chart, and it has to be the cycling chart because your zones for running are different. They're actually higher than they are for cycling and swimming are different as well. And so I would take that, I would look at fi zone 5A, which is um, your LT, and I would find 170 in there. Now on his charts, he actually has a range for zone 5A. And uh, so on his, you know, I'd have to pick which one of these. I'm just looking for it here. I've got, um, I, I guess the one I would pick would be the one that says my my LT is 170 and the zone 5A goes from 170 to 173. Now if I look down that I can see on the chart according to the chart my zone 4 would be 159 to 169 and zone 3 would be 152 to 158 zone 2 would be 139 to 151 and zone 1 would be anything less than 139. Now, you know, uh, th this is not very helpful to you unless you actually have the book to look at. But I, I did some math to see what percentage of your lactate threshold heart rate this each zone is. And it, it more or less applies to all the various sections on the chart. But I will give you those percentages just in case they're kind of interesting. Zone 4 is 94 to 99% of your LTR, your lactate threshold heart rate. Yeah, zone three is 90 to 93% of your lactate threshold heart rate. Zone two is 82 to 89% of it. And zone one is anything less than 80, 81%. So I, what I don't know is if he actually uses percentages to calculate that. I actually um, Twittered him and asked him, and I don't know if he'll answer me or not, but if he does share that information, I'll let you know. And if you're really, really, really curious and you've got your lactate threshold um, number, your heart rate number, and you can't afford to buy a book, email me and I'll look it up for you and tell you what it says according to this particular book. Now, all of his Training Bible books have the uh, charts in them, so it's kind of interesting. Now, if you're basing it, your lactate threshold um, as a percentage, your zones as a percentage of that, then of course your 5B and 5C are all going to be over 100%, right? So 5B is um, like 102 to 105% and 5C is 106% and higher, which would ultimately be going up to whatever your ma imaginary max heart rate is. So, kind of interesting, um, you know, you might find that helpful, and uh, like I said, if you want to email me with your LTR, I can tell you what this particular chart says. And you can also go online and look up other ways to do an, a lactate threshold test. They have similar kinds of tests for running, and I don't really have access to my training that uh, I had with Coach Jeff anymore.
So I can't look up and see what it was he was going to give me to do a lactate threshold test um, for running, but um, there certainly are very similar ones, and I'm actually going to guess that they have the similar kind of thing in Joe's books. The other thing you can look at is to check out Joe Friel's blog, because he's constantly updating his blog with information that um, dovetails nicely with all of the uh, information he has in his books. You can also get them out of the library, probably. Alrighty, so I think I'm done. Am I done? Have I talked about everything I was going to talk about? Let me look at my ch cheat sheet here. Dun -da -dun -da -dun -da -dun. Yeah, I guess that's it. Alright, so take care. I'm going to end today with a little song that I stole from my son's iPod again. I don't know what it is. I just kind of like this dance music stuff that he's got on there. It's just all top 40. I actually heard it on the radio the other day too. And then, because uh, this band was playing in Kelowna. Uh, and it's a band called Down With Webster and this song is called Your Man. So have a great week and happy training and I'll talk to you probably next week. We'll see. I've only got five more days of school till Christmas break. Woo! Alright, take care of that. to town and never will I let you down. One look from you and I think I must have gone to heaven now. The fact that I'm with Webster's hard enough to get my head around. She's as hard as ACDC, she gets my thunderstruck. She's a score full of clover, but I won't press my luck. Girl, I'm talking about you, so don't be so scared of trust. I think I'm better off with you, you say, compared to what?
I was a high school and college swimmer, so I know how far I've gone. I know how to count, and I can look at my watch and, you know, see roughly where I'm at. So aside from that, yeah, whatever. Uh, transition times were faster. Bike was faster. Run was faster. All was good. And then I decided, you know, I really want to try and get my 5K time down. I'm not a runner. I'm not a fast runner. I was hoping for 33 or 34 minutes. was working with Gordon. And, uh, you know, he had me doing speed work and stuff. I thought, great, I'm all set. And then race day comes, and it's four degrees. Well, I hadn't been running in four-degree temperatures, so that was a shock. Anyway, I went out and did it, and uh, my goal was, I think I said 33, 34 minutes. I did it in uh, 33.59. So, you know, it wasn't my 10.40 pace time that I was hoping, but I still met my goal. And then I've just been doing some out, some uh, running in the cold here. Had my coldest run this morning at three degrees, but since I don't live in a great neighborhood, I decided I better start taking the dog with me. And you know he can't go as fast as I can on my own. But at least I'm getting out there and I'm doing it. That's about it. <laughs> uh, just listened to your last podcast, and I absolutely love your ice bath. I was. I stopped it right, stopped listening, headed into work right before you were going to go out there. And so then I turned it back on. I'm like, what is she doing? Took me a moment, but put a smile on my face. Anyway, thanks. Keep up the good work. Keep blogging. And uh, keep running. Hope your shins feel better. Thanks. Bye.